All right. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Man, I tell you what, it's been a really, it's been a really low key weekend. Is that because the NFL's back? Does anybody care about the NFL? Wow. Only, only a handful, man. What a, what a difference a year makes, right? Um, well, we're glad you're here. Glad that everybody's joining us online. So we want to welcome you uh, wherever you're watching. We're glad that you're here, a part of our service. Glad you guys are here. We're going to continue in the footsteps of faith. You heard Shane uh, Mitch and I get to wrap up Hebrews 11, one of the most amazing chapters in all of Scripture. Grateful to be able to do so. How many of you guys ever watch infomercials? Who's an infomercial watcher? Anybody? Wow. Anybody know what an infomercial is? All right. Well, you might, you might be familiar with some of the infomercial products over the years. I just picked a few I wanted to share with you. Check these out. Check this one out. The potty putter. Yeah. It's a product designed for a person sitting on a pot to practice their putting. Yeah, that's an infomercial product, right? How about this one? Anybody remember the shake weight? Yeah. Yeah, right? This, this genius invention in the shape of a dumbbell that if you grabbed it and shook it, the kinetic energy of the shake weight would tone your body into Mr. Mr. America kind of look, right? Yeah. How about this one? Hair in a can. I bought this product. Yep, yep. When I started to lose my hair on the top of my head, I thought, I'm going to try this. Listen, let me tell you something. It's not hair in a can, right? It's just black spray paint, okay? How about this one? One of my favorites. It's called the City Kitty. It's designed to help you teach your cat how to use the toilets instead of a litter box. As if there's not enough wrong with cat people already, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm, I'm kidding, right? It's a joke, you're, a, you're expensive, you're a cat person, I apologize. And how about this one? Come on, everybody remembers the Floby, right? It, it, who remembers the Floby? A few people, right? The Floby's basically a vacuum cleaner with a hose attached to metal devices that you put on your fo- hair and it cuts your hair, right? That's a Floby. One of, one of infomercials best products ever. And this is my favorite of all time. The better marriage blanket. Anybody know what the better marriage blanket is? Anybody? All right. Three for three, right? The better marriage blanket is designed to absorb human flatulence past in bed so that your spouse doesn't have to deal with your smell. The better, the better marriage blanket, right? I actually had somebody come up to me after service last night and ask me for information on the better marriage blanket, right? I sent them to our counseling department immediately, right? If, yeah, infomer- listen, infomercials are famous for this. They're famous for setting expectations high and delivering experience far below it. They're famous for helping you believe that what you're going to get is going to be this amazing 
right? Life-solving product. And then when you experience it for 1995, right? Your experience is far different. And see, here's the reality. When you experience, listen, when you expect something, take your marriage, take your dating relationship, take your family, raising your children, take your job, take your health, take whatever, right? NFL season. There are fans today who begin the season with high expectations. But here's the problem. When experience is far below expectation, that gap gets filled with a lot of disappointment and disillusionment at times, right? Here's what the word disillusioned means. According to Webster, it's Listen to this. It's disappointed in someone or something that you, that you discover to be less good than you once believed. Right? Everybody gets that, right? Disappointment comes or disillusionment comes when you become disappointed in someone or something because the expectation is here and the experience is here. That gap between your expectation and your experience is where most people struggle, right? Here's, here's what happens. The gap between our experience and our expectation is where most of us live in our unhappiness. I expect this and I got that. Now that gap is generally the measure of my unhappiness. 30 years plus of counseling relationships, I can tell you this is always at the core of whatever issue we discuss. That somebody had an expectation, man, I thought this relationship was going to be great. I thought this marriage was going to be awesome. I thought they would love me forever. I thought this job would be the end all to be all. I thought this was the place we were going to live forever. We've got this expectation. But our life experience is far below. And now you've got to manage that level of disillusionment and unhappiness. Because here's the equation. It's really simple. You promised me this, but I experienced that. You promised me this, but I experienced that. Right? And that gap, that gap between that expectation and that experience is where every human being lives at some level and in some area. Here's the thing. How do we, how do we survive in a world where that's where we exist almost on a daily basis? Well, every expert will tell you the first thing you got to do is you got to change your expectations. Right? You see, the equation isn't just for our world today. It isn't just for your marriage or your dating relationship or your family. That equation has also been impacting in our churches today. Listen, more people have walked away from church disillusioned in the last 10 years than have ever walked away disillusioned before. Because there's no, no time in our history right now that we've been a part of that is more full of false expectations for you as a believer in Jesus. I pulled these quotes directly from sermons of pastors with platforms every week in our world today of 20,000 to 50,000 plus and also best-selling authors as pastors. Listen to the expectations they set for you as a follower of Jesus and compare it to the world that you know and that you've experienced. If you do your part, God's going to do his. He'll promote you. He'll give you the increase. Pretty high expectation, right? You just do your part and God's going to give you promotion and an increase. How about this one? God's already done everything he's going to do. 
the ball's now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. Simple, right? You just want to get better. You just want to succeed. You just want to be healthy. Listen, as long as you declare words of victory and faith, the expectation is you're going to get it. Quite a, quite a high bar for people who live differently. How about this one? And this is the worst to me. The first step to living at your full potential is to enlarge your vision. Seeing yourself rising to new levels. See your dreams coming to pass. You must conceive it and believe it is possible if you ever hope to experience it. You'll produce what you're continually seeing in your mind. If you develop an image of victory, listen to this, if you'll just develop an image of victory, success, health, abundance, joy, peace, and happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things. God wants to increase you financially by giving you promotions, fresh ideas, and creativity. It's quite an expectation, isn't it? And yet Christians experience something different. So it's really simple. You promised me this, and I experienced that. And what gets into that gap of unhappiness is almost always people who are disillusioned and lose hope. Our world today is full of people who love Jesus, but have lost their hope. They've become disillusioned because of false promises like that. And so many of us are simply unaware of what expectations we should have as followers of Jesus. Listen, our passage today is going to make three expectations very clear to you that you, as a follower of Jesus, or a potential follower of Jesus, can have. So if you guys are staying with me, we're going to read a few verses in Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, the final verses here. 32 through 40 in Hebrews 11. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. I just, I know I want it to read well so you can follow along. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and they ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from, again from death. But others, others were tortured, refused to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sold in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats. And they were destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains. Hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had promised something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You can be seated. Expectation. You promised this and I experienced this. Right? 
we want to change the reality of our disillusionment or our struggle in our faith, we've got to have proper expectations. Because proper expectations make it possible for you and I to live a powerful experience. So I'm going to point out three of them. Here's the first one. Hebrews 11 says this in verse 38. It says, the world was not worthy of them. Was it worthy of them? That Greek word worthy means to put something on a scale. And then on the opposite side, try to find something of equal or greater value. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Listen, it says this for people of faith. There is nothing in this world that is equal to or greater than the value that God places on you. Nothing. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm sorry, I've got something in my eye. Just talk among yourselves, right? So unprofessional. This stuff never happens to Joe, right? I apologize. Where was I? Oh yeah, that's right. You have value. The Bible says the world isn't worthy of them. It doesn't mean that we're better than the world. It doesn't mean that we're too good for the world. It simply means that when it comes to value, there's nothing the world possesses that can match the value you already have placed on you by God. I drive a 2000 Chevy Astro van. It is a, it is my pickup truck because apparently I'm not old enough and mature enough and rich enough to own a truck. That's my next step. So I drive the Chevy Astro van and treat it like my truck. My family refers to it as a death trap, right? But I drive it, it's paid for, it's got air conditioning and a heater and it works just fine. So I was driving it the other day, a few weeks ago, and I was, I was running out of gas. I knew I was pushing the limit. And so I pulled into the gas station to get gas. And when I pulled into the gas station, I forgot why I pulled it, why I pulled into the gas station. So I pulled up to the front of the gas station because I had to go in and get something anyway. And so I went in and got it. And when I came back out, I realized I need gas. That's why I stopped here in the first place. As I went to get in my van, it ran out of gas right there in the parking lot of the gas station. So I opened the driver's side door. And with a Herculanean effort, I pushed the van by myself back to the gas pump. Standing, standing between my door and my van, walking it backwards. Without paying attention, I slammed my driver's side door into the concrete barrier protecting the gas pump. My door bent past perpendicular and I stopped. I pushed the van forward. I rapidly closed the door as I scanned to see who watched me do something stupid. And I got back to the pump and I filled it up. When I went to open the door, it wouldn't open. All right. Problem solved. I went around to the passenger door because I thought I'll just climb in. The handle for the passenger door is broken. So I had to slide the sliding door open, reach in, open the passenger door, slide the slider closed, climb in over the passenger seat and drive away. I've been doing that for several weeks because I didn't want to tell anybody how stupid I was. 
So I thought this might be a safe place to share that. You guys just keep that to yourselves, right? Because apparently I thought fixing that problem was like sending a rocket to the moon. Only NASA engineers could fix it. So I didn't bother. So I just kept climbing in over my seat. And listen, there's some advantages to being 6'4 and 255 pounds. Climbing in the passenger door of a Chevy Astro van is not one of them, okay? Eventually, people started noticing and asking questions. And I thought, you know what? I probably got to get that door fixed. So I asked a mechanic friend of mine. I said, listen, I hate to ask this. I said, this is so stupid. And I told him the story. And he said, no problem. He goes, that happened to me. My buddy ran his motorcycle into my door, bent it back. I can fix it. I said, are you serious? He's like, absolutely. Comes, to work, comes here last week, 45 minutes. He calls me and says, hey, come on out here. I got it fixed. I ran out there like Santa was out there at the bag of presents for me. I'm like, you really fixed the door? He said, yeah, I fixed the door. I opened and closed that door 50 times just to see if it was real. I'm like, oh my, my life is so much better today. I said to him, how much do I owe you? He said, 75 bucks. I'm like, dude, I'll give you 150, right? Because here's the thing. Value, the value of anything is based upon what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's where value comes. To me, the value of fixing that door was twice as much as what he said he would take. Listen, here's what I know about our world today. I'm not an expert. I don't spend my time perusing websites and reading tons and tons of books and watching all the news and websites. But I am old enough and wise enough to know this, that we're living in a pandemic of people trying to find value in their life. We are being inundated in our world today with arguments and fighting about asking a world that does not have anything that is compared to the value that God has placed upon you and yet screaming at that world to make me feel valuable. Give me your vote of approval. Tell me I'm pretty enough. Tell me I'm smart enough. Tell me my life means something. And we're begging the world for that value. And too many Christians are doing the same thing. Seeking their value in their promotions and in their jobs and their careers. Seeking their value in what they own and what they possess. Seeking their value in anything the world can say makes you important. And yet the writer of Hebrews tells us the world isn't worthy of you. Nothing the world has compares to the value you have in me. That's what I want my kids and my grandkids to know. Sure, I want them to have a great job, I guess. I want them to do what they want to do. Sure. But what I want my children and my five children to know and my seven grandkids to know, I want them to know that if they follow Jesus, they can expect to have value. And here's why. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Listen to this. But you were bought... You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. You want to know if you're valuable? Ask yourself, what was somebody willing to pay for me? I was willing to double the price for my door being fixed. Jesus was willing to die for you. 
And yet we spend our days. You talk about being disillusioned when Christian people expect to find value in a world based on good circumstances. And then they struggle to find meaning and value because their life falls apart. Their job falls apart. Their relationship falls apart. Their health falls apart, right? 2008 hits and a recession comes and the 401k falls apart. And all of a sudden, a world that we search desperately to find affirmation in, a world that is not capable of providing enough value, disappoints us because we were expected in our faith journey to find that value here. That value is not found in this world. Our value is found in what somebody was willing to pay for us. And Jesus was willing to pay it all. Where are you looking for your value today? And listen, the question is valid for those of you who who might not be a Christ follower or are still searching and looking. For those of you online the same way. Listen, it's a valid question. Where are you trying to find your value today? But if you're a Jesus follower, man, that question isn't just valid. It's absolutely important that you answer it. Because if you're forsaking the value that God places on you for the value of an affirmation of a world that doesn't have anything that can measure up, you're always going to be disillusioned. You have value if you're a follower of Jesus. You also have a voice. You have a voice. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, the world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Listen to this. These were all commended for their faith. That Greek word commended means to testify to, to bear witness, to have a voice. These people use their voice because of their faith. I, um, I think a lot of people tried to find entertainment during the pandemic when we were locked down and quarantined, whatever, especially when all the sports ended, right? All the new movies were put on hold. And so I developed an embarrassingly bad habit that I feel comfortable sharing with you. Now, the 930 crowd told me, do not tell the 1130 crowd, right? My, my daughter, we have a family chat. Those of you that are in a family chat know the good and the bad side of that. My 24-year-old daughter sent a video during the quarantine to us in the family chat. Watched it. It was funny. Cracked me up. I noticed it was from something called TikTok. Right? Anybody ever heard of TikTok? Raise your hand. Let me see. Wow. By far the most relevant crowd we have in our church. Right? 630 crowd. Nobody knew what, what TikTok was. 930 so-so. You guys are on top of it. Right? So I did a little research. I did a little research and I downloaded this TikTok app. Right? And I, somebody last night when I said that said, oh, that's a bad idea. Right? And so I started watching these Stupid videos on TikTok for entertainment. And man, honestly, some of them are hilarious. And some of them are really sad. Because here's what I found out and what I was... I, I don't have social media. I don't have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I don't have any of that stuff. But here's what I was confronted with when watching these TikTok videos. People are desperate to have a voice. I mean, they are desperate to have a voice. And not only are they desperate to have a voice, they're so desperate to have a voice, they're measuring the success of their voice by how many people are willing to follow them. And they're making videos 
They're making two-minute videos on TikTok celebrating when they get 1,000 followers, when they get 5,000 followers, when they get 10,000 followers. And others, this is what broke my heart, and others are making videos when people quit following them, asking people who are watching their video, why have you quit following me? And then people start doing crazy things. They start compromising their integrity. They start dressing in a certain way and saying a certain thing just so they can get people to follow them once again. We live in a world that's desperately trying to find its voice. Just listen to the cacophony of voices in our world today. Black and white, Republican and Democrat, millennial and baby boomer. Everybody's fighting to have their voice, right? And there's so many voices, honestly, today that nobody's actually being heard anymore. And yet we just keep screaming and crying because we're dying to have a voice. And it's my assessment that the reason that people are so desperate to have a voice is because they don't have any value. Because this world can't give them any value. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can expect to have value. And if you're looking for value in the world, you don't have to look anymore. God has given you that value by what he was willing to pay for you. And you have a voice. The writer of Hebrews says their faith commended them. Their faith allowed them to testify and bear witness. You've already been given a platform. And every one of you in here who are a follower of Jesus already have unsubscribed followers. You've got children watching you. You've got your grandchildren watching you. You've got your co-workers watching you. You've got your spouse watching you. You've got your girlfriend or boyfriend watching you. You've got your friends and enemies watching you. You already have a platform. You don't have to have social media and subscribers and followers. You already have it. Because God's given you a platform. He called you the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He said you already have a voice. The question isn't whether you have a voice. The question is, what are you using your voice for? Because every believer already has one. Here's what Paul says our voices should be used for. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Listen, first and foremost, we've got to understand what's happening in our world today. Yes, in the physical world, we got Republicans fighting Democrats. And we got racial tension between blacks and whites and Hispanics. And we got generational fights between millennials and Gen X and Gen Z and baby boomers. We've got on the surface, we've got all kinds of issues in our world today. But listen, here's what's going on, church. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And the God of this age is the devil himself. We are living in the, in the throes of a spiritual battle between God and the devil. And the unbelievers are blinded by it. Listen, until you and I as believers in Jesus process the fact that unbelievers are blinded by the God of this age, we're always going to make them the enemy. And here's where that gets problematic. Listen to the message your voice and my voice should be speaking. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. But listen to what our voice should say. For what we preach, what we proclaim, what we use our voice for is what? 
is not for ourselves. Listen, almost every TikTok message I've watched that isn't designed to be funny is a message about themselves. Most Facebook posts are about you telling somebody about yourself, about your belief, about your stance, about your ideology. The message of the believer in Jesus isn't, do I have a voice? Of course you do. Your faith will commend you to people. It will testify and bear witness to your children and your grandchildren and to your friends and enemies alike. The question isn't whether you have one. The question is, what are you using it for? And Paul says, our message isn't to be about ourselves. Our message is to be about who? Jesus Christ as Lord. That's pretty simple for Christians, right? But listen to what else it says. And our message has to be this. And ourselves as your servants. And ourselves as your servants. Who's the your? The people who are blinded by the God of this age. The people that you hate. The people that are different than you. The people that you're arguing with on Facebook who see things different politically. The people that you're arguing with who see race differently than you do. The people you're arguing with that see generational decisions and, and different makeups differently than you do. You see, the ourselves that we serve, those you that we serve, are those who are blinded by the God of this age. See, the question isn't whether a Christian has a voice. The question is, what is the Christian using their voice for? And I can tell you, the Christian today is more likely to hit you with a hammer than they are to give you a hug. Because we just want to be right. Listen, that is not the message of the follower of Jesus. The message of the, fo- the, message of the followers of Jesus is that we are here to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And we are here to proclaim that we are here to serve you. That Greek word servant means, is the Greek word doulos. It means to be a slave. A bound and encumbered slave. And here's what I know about slaves. They don't talk back to their masters. Slaves don't usurp, usurp the authority of their masters. Slaves follow orders. Slaves do one thing. They're there to serve at the bidding of their masters. When did we as Christians forget that our job is to serve those who we are at odds with? When did we forget it's not just our job, it is our absolute obligation to put ourselves in servitude to those people and stop arguing with them. We will never, ever make headway spiritually with the blind of this world if all we're doing is arguing with them about believing what is right. We proclaim Jesus as Lord And more importantly, we proclaim ourselves as here to serve you. You see, the goal isn't whether you have a voice. You need to accept the fact that you do. The question is, what is that light that God gave you and that salt that God gave you doing in the world that you live in? Is it actually helping the dark or is it just contributing to it? Is the salt that God has made you grown bitter and unflavorable? Or is God using it to season the lives of people around you? You see, not only can you expect to be valued because nothing in this world, nothing in this world that you seek to confirm your value and meaning can be put on a scale and measure up to what God has placed his value on you as. And in that value, you have a voice, man, a powerful, strong voice. 
The question isn't, do you? The question is, what are you doing with that voice today, Christian? And the last thing is this, you can expect, you can expect some tension in the experience. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. It says they not only, they not only were commended for their faith, it says this, that none of these people received what had been promised. None of these people had received what had been promised, right? That word receive means to be taken care of, to be tended to, right? It's the picture, the, the Greek word is kameo. It's the picture of a shepherd taking care of its flock, right? I'm here to take care of you. Here's what, here's what the, writer said, the writer of Hebrews says that you can expect as a Jesus follower, right? The writer of Hebrews says as a Jesus follower, you can expect to live in a world in your faith where my promise to take care of you does not happen in this world. It says they did not receive, they were not tended to, they were not cared for according to the promise in this lifetime. They didn't receive it until the next. You see, some of them conquered kingdoms and some of them climbed mountains and prayed and watched God consume altars and sacrifices with fire. Some of them got, got put in the, the cave and the, the den of lions and watched God seal mouths shut of lions. Others got thrown in the fiery furnace and came out unburnt. And some of you who follow Jesus will get cancer that's untreatable. And some of you will be diagnosed with COVID. And others of you will lose your job. And for some of you, your marriage will fall apart. For others of you, your children will wander away from faith. At any number of things, but you as a Jesus follower will face some of that. Because sometimes... The expectation has to be that there is tension in the experience. Meaning that sometimes, listen to this, the enemy gets a vote. Now you have fallen in love with my Audible app. I love listening to books through my Audible app, audio books on my Audible app. And I found a genre that I love. I love the special ops, right? I love the special ops government thriller kind of thing. And here's what I've heard in every one of those, those storylines that I've heard. Every time they plan an op, some secret op, right? Where they're going to produce some covert action. They always say this, remember, remember, the enemy always gets a vote. He always gets a vote. The Peace Corps knew it. So in 1998, the Peace Corps did a training manual. For people who were going to be going to the Amazon jungle and serving there. And they taught them how to deal with a snake. The anaconda. The largest snake on the continent. Grow up to 35 feet long and weigh up to 400 pounds. Right? And so here's, here's what the Peace Corps put out. Now, since then, people have claimed that this was a joke. But this is what was in the manual of around 1998. One, if you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. They are faster than you are. Two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against one another. Three, tuck your chin in. Four, this snake 
will come and begin to nudge and climb all over your body. Five, my favorite, do not panic. Six, after this snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet. And it will always start at that end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles, this snake, and don't panic. Seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still because this will take a long time. Eight, when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Number nine, make sure you have a knife. Right? And number 10, make sure the knife is sharp, right? Listen, what I appreciate about that is that the Peace Corps understood that the enemy, enemy could get a vote. Listen, Jesus said this, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. Listen, the enemy gets a vote in your life. The God of this age gets a vote in your life. The enemy got a vote in Job's life. The enemy got a vote in Peter's life. Jesus said to Peter, listen, the devil has asked to sift you. He's asked to put you through trial. And Jesus said, man, I pray for you that when it's over, you'll return to me. The enemy gets a vote in your life. He has access to your life. People today die at eight people, eight Christians per day, according to the World Evangelical Alliance, eight Christians will die today, not because they're a Christian, but because they refuse to not be one. 23 women, 23 women will be raped and sexually assaulted today, not because they're Christians, but because they refuse to be one. Over 9,000 attacks, over 9,000 attacks on churches last year in 51 countries. Prompted the BBC reporter to say that the persecution of Christians in 2019 has almost become genocide. You want to know why? Because the enemy gets a vote. And irrespective of your faith, you and I live in a world where there will always be tension in that experience. And that nonsense that we read at the beginning where you can set your expectations, just believe it, conceive it, and you'll receive it. Just name it and claim it is not biblical. And it is false gospel. And more than anything, it sets your expectations wrong. Can you trust and believe in a God of miracles? Absolutely. We have people sitting in this auditorium that I personally know that experienced the miracle of God's hand upon their body. I've watched it. But I've also watched their body be touched by the enemy to get them to that point because no one receives a miracle before the enemy has had access to you. We have got to learn that our faith does not put us in a position to avoid the tough. There are people in here who are divorced, who never expected to be divorced, who never expected to wake up and watch their spouse say, I'm done and leave. 
I know there are families in here right now that are absolutely being torn apart by what's happening to their children and their adult children. They didn't expect that. And honestly, if their expectation was, if I trust in Jesus enough and I name it and claim it and I conceive it and believe it, I'll receive it. If there's enough of that going on, there's going to be a migration of people leaving the faith. And that's what's happening today. People trusted God and they were sawn in two. People trusted God and they were thrown in prison. People put their faith in God and they were stoned to death. People put their faith in God and they were hung on crosses in a Roman Colosseum and burned. Others were fed to lions and all they did was refuse to not be a Christian. Listen, if we're going to win this fight, church, and I'm not talking about... I am not talking about the political office and I am not talking about the race fight. I am talking about the fight for spiritual blindness so that we can proclaim Jesus as Lord and we can get people from this world to the next. If we're ever going to win that fight, we have got to have a faith that is able to maintain itself even when the devil has a voice. Because here's what Paul says about our life, and it's so true. Second Corinthians 4, he says, but we have this treasure, right? What treasure? That message. That message of Jesus as Lord, that hope of glory. And we, ourselves, as servants to you, we have that treasure in this jar of clay. Something fragile that's easily broken. Why? To show that the all-surpassing power is not about us, but it's about God. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side. But we're not crushed. We might be perplexed, confused, don't understand, but we're not in despair. We might be persecuted. We might be facing all kinds of difficulties emotionally and and physically and mentally, but we're not abandoned. We might be struck down. We might be dealing with cancer. We might be dealing with a divorce. We might be dealing with depression. We might be dealing with whatever. He says, we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Why do we have that stuff in our life? Because we always are carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Listen, the goal of our life isn't to find value. God's already placed value on you. If you're looking for it in the world, stop. You're going to make yourself crazy. Because if you find value in the world, now you got to hang on to it. And what are you willing to compromise to maintain the value that the world places upon you? What are you willing to sacrifice and give up just to get the world to, to say you're valuable? Listen, if you build your value in this world based upon your looks, I hate to tell you this, but I used to be handsome. Right? Life gets in the way. You lose those things that you place value on. The value that one has is not and what others say, but what somebody's willing to pay for it. You don't have to search for value, church. You already have it. Jesus died for you. And you don't need a voice. You need to go out there and bang the drum to get people to follow you. You already got one. Jesus said, you're salt and light. You're an ambassador. You already have a voice. The question isn't, do you have a voice? The question is, what are you using it for? The message of the believer isn't to persuade a political party to believe in in your candidate. The purpose of the believer's message is to get people to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And we do that by acknowledging we are here to be your slave. 
Isn't it funny in a world where we're talking about black and white and race and reparations and slavery, that the only true slaves in the world should ever have known were Christian people who were willing to be slaves to those who don't know Jesus? Those are the only two slaves the world should ever have known. And yet, what are you using your voice for? And lastly, listen, our faith doesn't promise us a bed of roses. Our faith does not promise us that we will avoid trouble. Our faith does not assure you that you're going to get everything that you want. That your marriage is going to be problem free. That your children will always follow Jesus. That that job that you love was always going to be there. And that immaculate body and perfect health is always going to stay that way. Our faith does not guarantee that. Because the enemy gets a vote. But the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've got to learn to find a way to hang on to our faith in spite of that struggle, church. And so I know in a room this size and with people who are watching online, the Holy Spirit's at work tugging on some of your hearts that today's the day that you need to surrender to Jesus. So if that's you today, listen, we are all in on that. We'll have people up here on the right side of the stage. If you're online, there's a button for you to push. I have decided you can do that there. And for some of you, this isn't about accepting Jesus. You already have. This is about dealing with what's been placed before you. It's about stopping this crazy desire to find purpose and meaning and value in the world and accept the one that you have in Jesus. It's about dealing with the enemy's vote in your life. And so you just need prayer today. We want to we invest in that as well. So we'll have people up here that will be more than glad to pray with you. If you're online, we've got people there ready to pray for you as well. There's a button there for you to push and to fill out your prayer request and somebody will be right with you. Listen, this faith journey, it isn't easy for any of us. And it is certainly not made any easier by the fact that the enemy gets a vote in our life. But it is absolutely a necessity for us, church, if we're ever going to see this world come to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you for your word. I pray for every teacher and every pastor in our church community, whether online at Palm Bay, DeLand, in Ormond, in our prisons, in our student ministries, our children's ministries, wherever. I pray for all of them, Lord, that they will be people who rightly divide the word of truth, who study to show themselves approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed. God, help us to never, ever be guilty of setting false expectations from your word. And I pray together today, Father, for our, for, our, for our faith community, for our church, for your body here in this world. My prayer is, Father, that they will stop the unnecessary search for value in a crumbling and decaying and rotten world. And they'll stop trying to have a voice and ex exercise the one that you've given them. And I pray most of all that we'll use that value and that voice to share the right message. The message we proclaim is that Jesus is Lord and we are here to serve them. In Jesus' name, amen.